You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo. Hey guys, welcome back to the Best Practices Show podcast. My name is Kirk Barrett, where we have one jam around here to bring you the best information from the best minds in dentistry. And today we talk about how to make a dentist's life easier with my good friend, David Harris. It's frightening and enlightening, and we introduce best practices. So in the long term, you create a very healthy practice. Please listen up. This will save a lot of heartache, and it's just the right thing to do in any business. I hope you guys enjoy it. We'll see you soon. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the Best Practices Show podcast. Thank you so much for showing up. And I'll keep bringing it with great people and great minds to help you create a better practice and a better life. And today, we're going to talk about how to make a dentist's life easier. And you're going to love it. With a good friend of mine, his name is David Harris. And if you haven't heard David before, he's crazy brilliant. I learn a ton from David. He freaks me out and educates me at the same time. So, David, thanks for being on. I appreciate you. Always great to be with you, my friend. Yeah, you are awesome. Now, if you've listened to previous podcasts, you're going to see David is an expert on many things. He's an expert on how people think. He is, uh, whether it be consciously or unconsciously, you become the premier expert on embezzlement in dentistry and you have a great company, but you also do so much more than that. And so we have a lot of young listeners now. We've got some dental students that are listening. I want people to know who you are. So who's David Harris before we get into this subject? I am the chief executive officer of a company called Prosperident, and Prosperident really exists for a very narrow mission. We help protect dentists against embezzlement. And by embezzlement, of course, I'm talking about usually staff, but maybe somebody else like an accountant or a bookkeeper or a business partner stealing from a practice owner. Right. And we do two things. We um, have, we're best known probably for embezzlement investigation and that's when we invisibly go into a practice and help see if somebody's stealing but we also work proactively with dental practices to help them put the systems in place that will lessen their risk for embezzlement and that's really what i want to talk about today in the category of making a dentist's life easier 
Yeah. And so uh, I know you're not going to mention this until later, but that's why I'm going to mention it now. David and his company have an embezzlement risk assessment. You have to do it just because it's just good proactive maintenance for your practice. I hate mentioning this. I mean, this is an important topic and it was taboo to talk about it many years ago and shameful. And now it's just really good business proactive maintenance on your practice. And I know a lot of you don't take notes when you listen to a podcast, so don't worry. We're taking notes for you. So if you flip up to the notes and Stitcher, iTunes, or whatever, you're going to see a link to that. I'm just going to highly encourage you, just take the assessment because it'll show you, uh, David, what's it going to show you? How, your exposure? That's right. It, it's we, we just renamed it actually as the embezzlement risk self-assessment questionnaire because Ooh. we want to be clear that it is self-assessment. Um, this is a 15-minute online questionnaire that you complete. It gets scored. Um, 100 is perfect, just like a college exam. And if you score 40, you don't call your mom to brag about it. Right. And what it measures is really the extent, Kirk, to which your staff are behaving like they're stealing. Because that is the best bellwether of whether you have an embezzlement problem or not. Yeah. And, I, you know, you mention it all the time, but I love data. And if I'm a young dentist listening, like what are the percentages of or chances of me even getting involved in something like this? Um, the chance that a dentist will be embezzled in his or her career is around 70 percent. That's crazy high. It is. So it's it's not a, a problem that affects a small corner of dentistry somewhere. The majority of dentists will be embezzled. And, and sometimes it's small. You know, it's it's. Uh, taking pens from the office or, or, you know, a few thousand dollars or maybe scrap gold from the gold jar. And sometimes it's over a million dollars. What percentage get embezzled the second time? About half of those who get embezzled once will be embezzled again. And about half of those will be embezzled again. Yeah. And here, here, I always have to say this when we're talking, number one, our goal with this podcast is not to freak you out and destroy the trust that you have with your team. This is about improving the trust and proactively creating a healthy environment with checks and balances and proper business protocols that you don't spend a lot of time wondering if this is happening. Would you agree, David? Absolutely. Most dental offices don't have really good control systems. And that means that people get away with things that just shouldn't happen. And the goal is to improve. And it's, it's just like dentistry. You know, if I'm a, if, if I'm a patient and I go to my dentist and say, doctor, I want to spend the least money in my lifetime on my teeth. What the doctor's probably going to do is hand me a toothbrush and a can of dental floss and say, you know, use those like you believe in them and see my hygienist every six months. And that will keep your, your lifetime outlay to the minimum because what happens if you neglect those things is going to cost a lot more and it's going to be a lot more invasive. And I'll say exactly the same thing about embezzlement. Prevention is far, far, far cheaper and requires a lot less heart muscle than remediation. Mm. Amen, brother. Okay, so I'm a dentist. How do you make my life easier? And where do we start with the why on this? Let's, let's start with the why and then we'll get into the how. Let's talk first about how embezzlers think. Okay. And if you're a dentist, 
Kirk and I work for you, the first question I'm going to ask is, uh, does Dr. Barron know how much money should be in today's bank deposit? It, it doesn't matter, to be clear, whether you make the bank deposit or I, your office manager, do. The first question is, does Dr. Barron monitor how much the practice management software says was collected? Mm -hmm. And if the answer to that question is no, which is probably the case in 80% of practices, then stealing is incredibly easy for me. I mean, all I have to do is divert some of the deposit. I don't have to do anything exotic in software. If you do monitor deposits against collections, I can still steal, but it's a lot harder because now what I have to do is teach the software how to lie to you about how much money came in. Mm -hmm. And it can be done, but that's a lot harder. So let's ask the really basic question. Why do 80% of dentists not compare what software says they collected versus what went into the bank. I mean, it's a, it's a simple concept. Yeah. Why? The problem is that the practical application of it's a little bit tough. So it's the end of the day today. It's, it's five o'clock. You've, uh, you've had a busy day. Uh, you've seen 20 patients. You got bit twice. Um, you, you, you are really thinking about getting out the door. Yep. And there's a report that appears from your practice management software and you get the idea. Okay. But before I go home, I really need to check this against the bank deposit. Here's the problem. A lot of the money that was collected today is going to arrive in your practice's bank account either earlier than today or later than today. In other words, we have what we call timing differences. Hmm. So think about a patient who pays today by credit card. Your software captures that as a payment today, your practice management software. Right. But that money doesn't get to your bank until probably two or three days from now. So you actually have no way of comparing that amount in your software against a deposit in the bank today. You kind of have to say to yourself, okay, I need to, I need to write that down on a piece of paper, put it in a spreadsheet or something, and then come back to it three days from now and see if that amount actually arrived. And another complication is that a lot of payments go by electronic funds transfer into a doctor's account. Right. And when an insurance company pays by EFT, there's a timing difference, but it's actually in the opposite direction. So what the insurance company does is they send out the money electronically and they send the EOB, the explanation of benefits, via the U.S. Postal Service. The electronic funds transfer of money gets there in your bank account in about 30 minutes. The, EF, the, the EOB, the explanation of benefits, might take four or five days to arrive and then somebody in the practice opens it and they might be too busy today to post it. So maybe it goes tomorrow. Mm. And again, what you're forcing the doctor to do is to go back into the electronic banking and try to find a deposit that might've happened four days ago, or it might've happened 34 days ago. So trying to do all that at the end of the day, when you're really thinking about getting out the door, is a bit of a dawning problem and it's asking a lot of somebody at a moment in time when they probably don't want to do it. And the consequence is, as I say, most, most doctors have kind of given up on this one. Right. Um, we, we have always had the tradition that this should be done on a daily basis. Um, and, and I'm probably going back to before your time, but if you think, if you think back to before computers, in, in the old pegboard system, there was really no such thing in pegboard as a monthly report. Nope. There was, 
you know, the whole focus of pegboard was the day. And at the end of the day, the doctor got the report and, and the bank deposit and lined one up against the other and, and, and decided that all the money was there. Um, so we've, we've continued, you know, even though computerization has been around in practice management software for over three decades, that basic mentality of this is something we should check at the end of each day is still there. Yeah. So I'm going to make a radical suggestion. Don't do that. Let's look at a month at a time instead of a day. And that means a couple of things. The first thing it means is that rather than doing this activity 20 times in a month, we do it once. So that just got a lot easier, even though we're doing it for a bigger period of time. Right. Um, once is easier than 20. You know, if you had to, if you had to do a quadrant of fillings, you, you would logically try to do them all at once because it's, uh, numbing once and, um, you know, prepping once and so on, rather than doing that four times for a quadrant. Right. No different than reconciling your credit card bill once a month or then trying to do it every day. Right. That's right. But there are some other advantages. The, the second advantage is that a lot of those timing differences that I mentioned have now self-corrected. Mm. In other words, when you're looking at a whole month at a time, a credit card payment that is recorded in software on the 6th of the month and gets deposited to your bank on the 10th of the month is no longer a timing difference because you're looking at the month as a whole. Um, so now the, the timing differences you have to contend with when you look at a month are only the transactions that overlap the first day of the month and the, and the previous month or the last day of the month and the, and, and the next month. So the, the percent of deposits, you know, if you're looking at a single day, it's, it's really easy for 80% of the money you take in today to have a difference between the day it hits the bank account and the day when it hits your software. Mm -hmm. When you look at a month at a time, you know, now you're probably talking about five or 8%. So the, the, the magnitude of the stuff that's difficult to resolve gets much smaller. Here's the second trick people can do. So we're, we're looking at a month at a time. Um, when you look at your collections according to practice management software versus your deposits in the bank, um, you're probably going to end up with what I'd call a variance. In other words, this month either you collected more according to your software than what went into your bank or you, or you collected less. Um, so let's just take that number and see how we can resolve it. And there are a couple of things you could do. You can look in your previous month's bank statement and try to find this stuff with a, with a negative timing difference, or you can look in your online banking after the end of the month and try to find this stuff with a positive. So you can, you can try and track down the origin of the variance. Um, that's the best answer, but it's also a lot of work. The other thing you can do is you can create a graph and you can stick the variance on that graph. So we're having this conversation in, in April of 2023, you know, which means we, we probably are just did or are about to do this for March. So let's say in March that the practice management software collections were greater than the bank by $2,200. What you do on a graph somewhere, and it, you know, it can be up on your wall if you like, or it could be, it could be a, um, 
on a on a spreadsheet or something like that is you put a dot for March at 2200. Uh, you do the same thing for April. You do the same thing for May. And if if you're kind of mathematical about it, you fit a regression line to those dots. Right. Um, if what you're looking at is timing differences, timing differences reverse. So let's say uh, on the last day of the month, uh, a patient pays $4,000 by credit card. And that's, let's assume, let's keep it simple, and let's assume that's the only timing difference for that month. So what you're going to see at the end of that month, let's call it March, at the end of March, what you're going to see is practice management software is greater than bank deposits by $4,000. What you're going to see when you look at April is the reciprocal. In other words, in April, you have a $4,000 deposit and nothing in practice management software because the, the payment was recorded in March. So the variance reversed if what you're looking at is timing differences. Yeah. So when you, when you plot your timing differences over time and you fit a line to them, what you get is something with a slope of zero or pretty close. If you look at that line and it's not zero, it's increasing, for example, now you don't have timing differences anymore. It's something else like maybe right. embezzlement. But you know what? Putting that dot on a graph takes a whole lot less time than trying to go back and find the origin of that $4,000 variance and make sure that the money was deposited. Right. Now let's talk about this because there are some inherent challenges. I'm feeling this viscerally as you're describing this. Okay. First of all, the first checks and balances totally agree. And David, you've taught us this. And I know this for sure. If I'm stealing from you and I'm working for you and you're looking at reconciling this once a month, I'm going to make sure what you're looking at is going to match up. I'm going to make sure of it. I think what you're proposing by this graph, which is crazy brilliant, it's brilliant. It's just one more step I have to take, which makes my job even more complex. If I'm, is that where we're going with this? Because what we want to do, if somebody is going to steal from you, as I say, if you're, if you're not doing a comparison between collections and deposits, yeah. you, you've made it so easy for me. I mean, the dumbest, laziest thief on the planet can steal in that framework. Right. So let's eliminate the bottom half intellectually of the people who want to steal from a dental practice. You know, this, this one step will rule out those people. Anybody who can't figure out how to cook your software now can't steal from you. Right. Um, and if, if what's involved is doing this once a month, and as I say, not having to actually track down the source of the variance, but just plot it, um, that makes life so much easier. Can people still steal from you in that case? Yes. But now what they have to do is trick the software, which is a lot harder and a lot more demanding. There are other things you can do about those people, but this, this really basic control, which as I say, most people don't do because it looks too daunting. You know, if we can, if we can make it as simple as getting a, a month end summary report from your software, looking at your monthly deposits from your bank statement. And when you look at your deposits, you, you just to point out something that may not occur to all the audience, um, you have to pull out of there any non-revenue 
deposits. So if you got PPP money back in the COVID days, you know, that was a deposit to your account, but it was not revenue in your practice management software. If you have multiple accounts and you're moving money back and forth, those are non-revenue deposits. So you have to screen that stuff out. But if, if you have none of those, every bank in the statement gives you a total for the total deposit. So you don't even have to add them up. Right. Um, the other advantage of looking at a month at a time is that what some thieves have done is if they think the doctor is looking at day end stuff, but doesn't look at month end information, then they'll come in on a Saturday or a Sunday when the practice is closed and they'll put through a bunch of transactions that day. They don't want the doctor to see. When you look at a month as a whole, you catch all those things. Um, so there, there's a, there, there's an advantage there as well, but the real advantage is let's shut down those stupid, lazy thieves. Right. And let's make it so that anybody who just pulls money out of the deposit and doesn't, uh, do something in software to, to cover it up. We'll get caught. Okay. So we've already covered two steps that make dentist life easier. David, I'm a nice guy. I'm kind of a wuss. Actually, I am a full wuss. I love my team. I've never done any of this trust and verify things. And so now I listen to a podcast with David Harris and I'm going to go back to my team tomorrow and go, Hey, we're going to be doing, can you coach me on just, what am I going to say? Like Sally's been here for 22 years. And how do I even introduce that I'm going to do these two steps? Well, first of all, why would you have to, um, you get the bank statements, I'm hoping. Right. Uh, and, and I really have a, an, an issue with any dentist who, who lets staff get that stuff first. And, 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 you know, staff generally don't need access to your bank account. So the banking side you get already. Um, there are some dentists who don't know how to print a month-end report from their software. And I would suggest that if you're listening in that and you are in that category, that I have one word for you, it's learn. Yeah. I wouldn't use the word some. I'd say most. <laughs> most yeah. dentists don't know how to do that. I'm, I'm going to say something that a lot of your audience won't like to hear, but it has to be said. Okay. Whatever reports you rely on as a practice owner from your software, print them yourself. Mm. As soon as you allow a staff member to print a report and hand it to you, you have given up control over the parameters used to generate that report. And it is really easy to hide stuff from you. So right. uh, with I, I know there are doctors out there who would like to go their whole career without learning the first thing about their practice management software. That software is more important to your financial well-being than your handpiece is. And you all know your handpiece like it's your child. Right. Um, you need to embrace your software with about the same amount of enthusiasm. If, if you don't know how to print reports in your software, there is somebody somewhere who can show you. Every practice management software has trainers. Um, there are lots of consultants. I know you've got some people who know a lot about software. Yep. Um, and, and I'm sure that Kirk's team can help you with this. Uh, if you're, if you're stuck, we can help you. Uh, but print your own reports. So what's involved here is getting bank statements that you already get anyway and learning how to print one, exactly one report from your software uh, and assuming that you can climb those two mountains, you don't need to go to your office manager and say, I'm going to start doing this. Right. 
uh, you might end up going to the office manager later with a with a question about discrepancies. Um, and if they've never seen you ask that question before, they may wonder why or even how you got the information. But you can you can decide at that point when you're you're likely facing a problem. You can you can decide how important secrecy is to you. But just to to do this calculation, no, you don't need anybody's help. Yeah. I love that. So just want to recap so far. Number one, do the monthly reports. Number two, keep a graph of the discrepancies. And number three, learn how to print the reports yourself on a monthly basis. Love it. Love it. Is there a step number four? Well, step number four happens when you start seeing variances that don't look like they're caused by timing. Like, give, give me an example. Well, like somebody stealing your money. Okay. That would, <laughs> I'm not going to see that right away, though. No, but if, yeah. if, if somebody's taking, and the typical thief will take between 2 and 4% of your collections. Okay. Okay, so you have an office that's collecting $100,000 a month. That means we would expect a, a thief, once they kind of get comfortable with their pattern, to be taking between two and $4,000 a month from you. So when you're looking now at your variances each month between collections and deposits, and you see that January was $2,000 and February was $2,300 in the same direction. And March was $1,700 and April was $3,500. When you, when you start seeing that the variances are all on the same side of the origin on your graph, as I said, this isn't timing. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so now you have a sleepless night and what you do hopefully in the morning is call Prosperidad. And I know that uh, Kirk will put our phone number in the show notes, so I'm not going to encourage people who are driving and listening to this to try to write it down. For sure. Uh, but you call Prosperidad and you say, here's what I'm seeing, and we'll, we'll help you take it from there. So I guess that's step four. Okay. What do you do, what do, you do when this doesn't look right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a potentially, it's not potentially, it is a sticky situation. And it can be wildly, um, you go through a whole range of emotions, you know, you, and, and ultimately, if you settle on one called shame, you often don't do anything about it. You know, you want to, you want to mitigate this from your brain and your practice and, um, it just becomes a very awkward situation. By involving a third party that is sharp, you know, non-confrontational, you're just going to be in doing a system of checks and balances. It becomes an easier conversation. Wouldn't you agree? It does. And when we investigate, our investigations are completely invisible to staff. We go to tremendous lengths to make sure that when a doctor calls us with unconfirmed suspicions, and so, sometimes it's been confirmed, but when, when it's somebody who says, you know, I think Sally, my office manager is stealing, our whole process is, is intricately planned so that Sally has no idea we're on the job. Right. And, and that's important. But let, let's talk about that shame because I get that a lot from people. You know, a dentist will call me and they'll say, yeah, I've been a bit uh, negligent in my overseeing of my practice, and now I think that Sally, my office manager, is stealing. 
And what I say to that doctor, and I will say to the next one who calls me is, let's understand how unequal this battle really is. You are busy all day, every day, trying to do great dentistry for your patients. And that is your primary focus. And while you're spending that time doing that, Sally, your office manager, has the whole day to think about how to separate you from your money. And beyond that, your control systems are 100% visible to her because she's, she's the person who, who lives with and, and probably in some cases implemented those controls. So Sally knows whether you compare the day-end report to the bank deposit. Sally knows whether you look at a day-end report at the end of the day or you just throw it in your basket to get to when you get to. Right. Uh, Sally knows whether you get the mail or she does, whether you make the bank deposit or she does. And Kirk, it's, it's kind of like playing poker with somebody, but your cards are face up and theirs are hidden. That's, that's kind of how I view the challenge that a doctor has. So a lot of people call me and they're, they're really beating themselves up and let's, let's put on the table what we both know about dentists. They come from a culture of accountability where everything that goes wrong in their practice, you know, whether it's something a hygienist does uh, 40 feet away from them when, when the doctor's completely doing something different, everything that happens in the office is their responsibility. And in a clinical sense, I agree with that completely. When it comes to running the business, I think a lot of dentists hold themselves to an unreasonable standard. And they really beat themselves up because either something goes wrong that they think that they should have caught sooner or because uh, some, something happened and they never caught it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I get a lot of calls from people who are kind of smacking themselves in the head and saying, you know, if only I had done this little thing differently, so, you know, I would have seen that that was going on. And I say to them, embezzlement's a pretty interactive crime. The person doing it knows exactly what your systems are and plans their crime accordingly. Yeah. So when you asked the question and I answered, you know, well, do we, do we need to go to the office manager with the fact that they're going to start doing this? My answer is no. In fact, I think, I think the, the less visible this activity is, the better you are. Yeah. A couple of things. I, I would just throw the listeners a bone. So if you're listening to the podcast, co- I, I just thought of this when you're, you know, one of the, our, our whole core purpose, it's called the best practices show. So you can use us as one of the reasons Just say, listen, I'm a frequent listener of the best practices show. Here's why I listen to it. It's just the best practices in dentistry. And that's truly what we're bringing to the table. So keep showing up every single time you show up to this podcast or you listen, and I'm going to like self sell this a little bit. Cause I don't really sell a whole lot. I'm going to bring you best practice. So you could literally just say, listen, I listen to press this show because it tells me what to do as far as best practices. And they had a guest who said best practices. So these are best practices. That's first thing. The second thing, and David, you use the word accountability. That's always a trigger for me. I love this profession. I love human beings and accountability is misused. You know, it really is you. It's, it's, it's a, people use it as a trust thing. It is not a trust thing. The byproduct of accountability is trust, but accountability requires accounting. And it's been my experience. Let me ask you this question. My favorite people I've ever met in the work environment, anywhere in the world, love accountability. 
They love numbers. They love checks and balances. They love being held accountable. They love accountability. They love transparency. Your least favorite people you'll ever meet don't want to show you the numbers, don't want to, you know. So I think overall, I'm not calling anybody out in your office like Sally. I think you as a dentist have to, if you're going to practice for another decade, you got to create a system of accountability where we're transparent with data, we're transparent with processes, we're transparent. And when you find accountable people, they want to be even more accountable. True or false? Absolutely. I think what a lot of people struggle, what a lot of dentists struggle with is the difference between delegation and abdication. Ooh, explain that. Delegation is when you give somebody a job to do with that accountability that you just mentioned, and this is the important part, and you enforce that accountability. And abdication is when you say to somebody, I don't ever want to hear about this again. And I think in a lot of cases, dentists rush to abdicate around business stuff when really what they should be doing is delegating. And That's brilliant. Well, it's a, it's, it's a simple way to put uh, a complex issue. But, you know, you, the, the thing I think that dentists need to buy into is that with the finances of their practice, everybody needs oversight. In other words, uh, if you have an office manager and three receptionists, one of the jobs of your office manager is to oversee the three receptionists so that they don't take your money. And your job is to oversee the office manager. And when you abdicate, in other words, when, when that oversight isn't there, that's when, not in every case, but in, in enough to drive those statistics that we talked about, that's when enough people will, will, will see the opportunity to steal. Yeah. So what a, what a busy dentist, what a clinically focused dentist needs to do is to find enough bandwidth to oversee the office manager. Um, that doesn't mean, Kirk, that they need to do it personally. In other words, this calculation that we talked about is a mechanical one. You know, sure, the dentist can do it. If the dentist has a bookkeeper and the bookkeeper has remote access to practice management software, they could do it too. Um, you know, our, our kids are around the same age. I know you've got a, you've got a couple in their early twenties. So do I. Um, you know, my my son um, is in college, and um, if if he wants beer money, uh, one of the ways he can get that is he can he can carry out some responsibilities for for my business. Um, so, you know, if you're a dentist and you have a spouse who wants to help you with things, or you have, as I say, a kid in college looking, looking for some money, um, those are other outlets for doing this very mechanical calculation. Right. Um, you know, and when we talk about accountability, what I think a lot of dentists perceive is, okay, this is going to take more of my time. In other words, abdicating takes less time than delegating. And sometimes that's true. But let's think a little bit outside the box on this and see if we have um, other ways of, of it achieving the accountability without necessarily a, a, a big time commitment on the part of the dentist. And when we, when we talked about the title for today's episode of making a dentist's life easier, that's an easy way to do it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I know we've covered four steps. Do you have a couple additional steps when it comes to how do we make a dentist's life easier? Um, I do. 
one one other thing, and it's easy to take the wrong. It's easy to take what I said here out of context. When I say do the math at the end of the month instead of trying to do it every day, I am not suggesting to a dentist that you do that you forego looking at the day end report at the end of the day. But I think you're looking for something different than trying to line up the deposit with collections. What I want you to look at is, uh, wait a minute, there's a patient who was in here and I don't see their name on my day end report. Or I'm looking here and I see a three surface composite filling, but I'm pretty sure that was a four surface. Um, looking at the hygienist work, do I see the amount of radiography that I'd expect? If if your protocol in your office is that that patients get get annual X-rays and a panoramic once every five years, then what that means is that about half the patients in the hygiene chair should have bite wings or periapicals, and around uh, one tenth of the patients in the hygiene chair should have a panoramic. Right. So you still need to look at those things at the end of each day. Um, I, I've seen cases where, you know, some of this some of this stuff was being done but not billed properly just because of miscommunication in the office. And, you know, if if radiography's being done and not billed, I mean that's you know, tens of thousands of dollars a year to a doctor. So stuff like that needs to be looked at at the end of each day. But let's let's forget about the dollars. Let's deal with those at once a month instead. Yeah. So I guess that would be my fifth pearl. Awesome. Awesome. And David, I know, gosh, I could keep you for another hour. I have so many questions. I want to be respectful of your time. And you're, we're going to have, you know, we always have David back on a regular basis. Um, we're going to talk about a few more things, uh, but any last thoughts you have on how to make a, a dentist's life easier? Well, let's go back to something we, we talked about early on, that percent of dentists who get stolen from. Mm-hmm. And I said the number is around 70% in their careers. Does that mean that every staff member is looking to steal from you? Absolutely, positively not. It is a really small proportion of staff who cause the problems. But if you're a dentist in solo practice, you're probably going to have 30 or 35 employees over your career at least. And the chance that one of those will be a rotten apple is really big. Mm -hmm. We had done a previous session on hiring, and I'm going to bring back one statistic that we talked about that uh, made Kirk's eyebrows go up. I love that episode. The statistic was that 70 million Americans which equates to one in four adults has a criminal record. So when I say that the chance that your barrel is going to have a rotten apple sooner or later, it's that kind of number that I'm talking about. And let's acknowledge that while the overwhelming majority of your staff are there for all the right reasons and wouldn't steal from you in, in any foreseeable circumstance, there's that small cohort who do. And we need to orient our systems around those people. For sure. For sure. David, as always, I love having you on the show. Um, we just, I get the chance just to learn so much. And, and I just can't say this enough. You know, our, our whole goal with this is not to freak you out. It's just to introduce best practices. I've had many dentists that are dear friends of mine that have been embezzled once, twice, and even a few third times. 
And it is so emotionally draining for them. It's really difficult. And they have a hard time trusting anybody. I've had dentists that have had their spouses embezzled from them. And that's even more complex. And I wish this for no one. And when it happens, the, 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 the consequences that happen after that are even worse. And so I just want to see people put good checks and balances in place, have great practices, and live great lives. Absolutely. We had one of our clients who was embezzled. He lost uh, about $270,000 to his office manager. And he, he made a video for us after. And wh what he said was, you know what? You're not going to get all your money back. You're not going to get your sleep back. Just prevent this. Mm -hmm. And and I thought it was really profound. And I, I, what, what he said applies completely to, to everyone in the audience who owns a practice. Yeah. You know, let's put let's put the structure in place that means this will not happen to you, or if it will, you'll catch it when it's five thousand dollars instead of one hundred and five thousand dollars. Yeah, it's good stuff, David. Um, I want to just uh, <laughs> have a couple other questions, but we could easily turn those into additional episodes. And I know I got to respect your time here, so I want to just do this. If you're listening to the podcast or watching the podcast. Whatever you're doing, um, you're going to see uh, after we finish this, our post-production team is going to put all the notes together and the links. You're going to see a link to uh, David's download. I'm just going to encourage you to do that. If you have an inkling that you just need to up your game, reach out to David. You don't have to think that, oh my gosh, I've been embezzled. Just, I would encourage you as a proactive measure, even if you don't own a practice yet, the day you own a practice, reach out to David and say, listen, I just want to start from the beginning and put some great protocols in there. I'm also going to put his phone number in there so you can reach out to him. Um, David, thank you as always. Really appreciate this, brother. Always a pleasure to hang out with you. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're so kind. So uh, stick around. We say goodbye to everybody else. But thank you guys for listening or watching to be the Best Practices Show podcast. If you enjoyed today, just do us a favor. Hit the share button. Share this with your friends. Keep sending us suggestions for things that you guys want to see. You're going to see I line this up. I love this stuff. I'm a CE junkie. I, I get more joy out of this than anybody. So uh, I want to know what you guys want to see. And I got a lot of dental friends and they're all brilliant. And uh, we can just get them on the show and ask them questions. So um, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching. And until we see you guys again, or you hear from us next time, keep watching or keep listening to the best practices show. You guys enjoy your day. So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up. I just want to thank you for being here and sharing the good word with your friends. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, could you do me a favor? Could you go to wherever you consume the podcast and just give us a four or five star review? Here's what that does. It allows us to find other great people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm going to spend the rest of my professional life finding great information so that you can consume it and your friends can consume it so that you can create a better practice and a better life. So keep spreading the word and we will see you guys soon. Have a great day, everybody.